So, Richard, I think we need to talk about Bashir. Yeah, yeah, he's he's you know he's just the weakest link. Let's just get him out of here. We 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 tried. He he was a good try, but he just we don't need him. Well, in the next episode, he dies, so that's something. Oh, good. Yeah, I just uh, I don't know what they're doing with him, and and I don't really know why they think that making him a sexist, egotistical asshole is the right move. I understand that they're trying to differentiate the characters from the next generation and make this a crunchier show and make people disagree more, but this but, is you not know, the way to do it. And it's like you could see kind of where they wanted to go with the character. He's a little bumbling. He's got he's young. He's naive. He thinks he's a hero on a great adventure, you know. He thinks he's this sexy space doctor, you know. And he's not, you know. And everybody, you know, just kind of humors him because he tries, God love him. You know, that's, I think, what they were trying to go for. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's even just the acting. He just isn't pulling it off quite right. and Or it feels totally off. Again, we have to talk about uh, Quark, you know, having his ladies and sex slavery like we see him a little perv we've seen him definitely be pervy and we see him a bit in these episodes but you know that's beyond the pale and that just seems like they didn't know what they were writing i don't think they really know how to write i don't think they know how to write sex on this show well i think well yeah i mean you you should know by now that star trek has never been the most mature program about sexuality no it has you know it, it certainly hasn't but it's even worse kind of on this episode and you would expect it to go a little better in some ways i don't know it, i guess well it's, it's interesting we you know having these moments when you realize that a show is a product of its time that this show is a product of its time um i don't know that it's a product of its time as much as it is about you know shows just got more leeway to find their footing mm. uh while they were actually being made and, and and shows just don't get that kind of leeway anymore uh you know i mean and i will say like the 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 one thing about this episode that i think is good is that it's a step forward for bashir because he is not hitting on the uh space cop right like that's that's a good step forward for, good him. for him i think two episodes ago he would have been like hardcore hitting on her and making her very uncomfortable so so good for bashir for for not being a creep so we, but, so we, all we are all we are doing is describing Jordy laforge by the way <laughs> um except yeah, that's true you know i like Jordy, and again part of that is just well you know, Jordy, i find lavar burden a lot much more personable and charming than uh what's his name you know Jordy Jordy is very well yeah i mean i mean that's, you know that's i LeVar, know a lot of it lavar burden is a much more charming and, and personable actor i and think a better and, actor frankly and a better actor yeah but i mean I, and i will say like like um alexander siddig does get better as time goes on i think they all get better as time goes yeah. on but you know uh one of the things that i think is interesting about that comparison is that jordy is and i think you're right on about that is that jordy is also very competent but he doesn't really and he does have a little bit of an ego but it sort of manifests itself in a different way and, and with jordy it's really about uh, being frustrated when other people are not kind of meeting his at his at his level, and, yeah, and kind of like that. when things don't work, he doesn't like it. Whereas Bashir, but Jordy doesn't really pat himself on the back when he Jordy, fixes a problem. You know, I, I think for Jordy, it was very much about the work for him, and you know, Jordy was your typical engineering geek. You know, he just loves. You know, he's very good at looking at a warp drive and figuring out exactly. You know. And if you ask him, he will, you know, admit that he knows it very, very well. But 
just because he's so interested in the thing. You know what I mean? Well, um, Bashir Bashir really is an engineer, but he's an engineer for the for the for the humanoid yeah. body, and, and he like he doesn't have good a good at, bedside manner, right? I think I he's mean, good at what he does. Certainly, the show. No, has I made think it so too. Very clear, but he also is a little too into his own legend, which isn't quite which he. He's good, but he hasn't done anything, you know, spectacular. Do you know what I mean? Like, he hasn't hasn't had any procedures named after him yet. You know, he hasn't – he's in no – people are not talking about this great rescue that he pulled – you know, yet, again, he's young. He hasn't really gotten to his point in his career. He thinks that Deep Space Nine is going to be where he's going to do that. Well, and I think the I think the other the other thing to remember about Bashir is that he's very young. I yeah. mean, he's he's I believe he's supposed to be fresh out of Starfleet Academy. So, you know, he's he's going to be I mean, you know, he had to go to medical school. So he's a little bit older than than, you know, your regular, you know, ensign or whatever. But uh, uh, he is, you know, 26, 27. I mean, you know, he is still young. And I think that if you look at him in terms of someone who's very, very he's smart. He's supposed to be that young? I mean, I figured he was late 30s, but. No, know. no. He's supposed to be, yeah. I mean, Alexander Siddick just looks old. Yeah, um, yeah he's again, supposed just to thinking be... about someone in the real world, you know, around their 30s is when they get out of med school, but. I mean, I think he's supposed to be that yeah. young. And so anyway. that that's one of the things that I think is kind of, you know, you need to remember about him. You know, he's that kind of character where he's very, very smart, but he doesn't really have many social skills. And he sort of has been in this cloistered environment where he's been really at the top of his game. I mean, you remember from two episodes ago where he told that Bajoran woman he was hitting on that he was the, the, the <laughs> salutatorian instead of the valedictorian. I mean, this is a man who... Uh, was in his element, right, in, in yeah. medical school. And now he's kind of not in his element, but instead of being open to new experiences and open to new points of view, he's really sort of just like doubling down on his own egotism, which is not the way to go, and I think it makes a kind of a tiresome character to watch. actually puts a very interesting uh, spin on Dax for me then because, you know, Jadzia is explicitly supposed to be this, you know, she was just brilliant. She worked very hard, you know. She's suppo- she's probably then intended to be around the same age as Bashir then because they said she was, what, 27, 28 when she was uh, yeah. joined. So she's in her early 30s at this point. He's probably in his early th- You know, and you could see a version of her which might have been very into her own scholarly pursuits and her abilities and all of that. But, you know... With the perspective that Dax, the the Trill has, you know, because she is very much not a person who's extraordinarily sociable. She's usually staying in her lab. She's usually just researching or whatever, staying by herself. Um, But I think she's, again, with with the older perspective, she doesn't have the cockiness and the naivete. And that makes Bashir very tiresome, I guess. Yeah, I think so. And I think that, that, you know, and I think it's a problem for, and by the way, I just looked it up. He's supposed to be 25. So there you go. Okay. Um, wow. He really, uh, you know, oh my God, he looks like someone who drank all through, you know, from <laughs> was 13. Maybe, maybe he did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think that, you know, this raises interesting questions about, you know, sort of like maybe this is a good time for us to check in with some of the characters. I mean, we've talked about Bashir. We've talked about Dax. You know, one of the things about the show is that it is very early on. It's still finding its footing and still finding yeah. its it's, I mean, it's you, voice really, you and, can and obviously the see that. Yeah, you know, Bashir is going to have a moment at some point where, or several moments where, you know, the scales fall from his eyes, where he, you know, actually, re, you know, grows right. up a bit. You know, you know that that's where it's going to happen. It's just I'm ready for that to happen already. You know, I guess is. 
And I think you see that you still see that in in I think sitcoms still get a bit more leeway than yeah. drama. So I mean I think about like the first season of Parks and Recreation, for instance, yeah. which was fairly horrible, and then they sort of repivoted the show and changed the character of of uh, 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 whatever. <laughs> Well, everybody really, yeah. And so the show became, you know, very good. And so I think that, you know, Deep Space Nine is definitely, um, I think it's the Star Trek show that it, that has found its voice and found its footing much more quickly than uh, perhaps the other two shows. I mean, you really can't compare the original yeah. series because television was just so different back then. But it's still not quite there. But I think that, I mean, are you seeing sort of like, I think well, you're I was enjoying say, it, I can, right? Definitely, like any episode... It, it, with the possible exception of Qless, you know, I've enjoyed more than, you know, you know, if I was going to, what have we seen, nine episodes now? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, if, if, we, ha- if we put the first nine episodes of this show and the first nine episodes of Next Generation, I mean, they're not going to be, you can't compare them, and I assume that will probably be the case for the rest of the season. It's a lot much more of a consistent show, even if it hasn't quite found its voice I think it's yeah. figured – I think it's not make – Next Generation made some missteps by trying too much to be original series by, you know, not really figuring out the characters and all of that. And while while Deep Space Nine is still making some of those issues, again, Cubeless being the very obvious example of that, but um, I think it hasn't made it as many of those missteps. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm just I, I just pulled up a list of of TNG episodes, you know, and, and, and the first 10 episodes of TNG were Encounter at Farpoint, The Naked Now, Ew. Code of Honor, <laughs> The Last Outpost, Where No One Has Gone Before, Lonely Among Us, Justice, The Battle and Hiding Q. So I think you can see that at this point, at a comparable point in, in, yeah. in, the, sh- in the series runs, Deep Space Nine is already a better show. Yeah. That all said, what did you think of The Passenger? I mean, I have I have to say this. I kind of the second you have the title of the passenger and you have him grabbing uh Bashir and saying that um you know what is it live for me what what is the line he says I don't even know uh, he says make me live make or something me live, like that you know which very much reminded me of the scene at the end you know the uh, at, at the end of Wrath of Khan, when Spock passes his Katra on to, like it was a very similar scene, and which so, actually there is a callback in this episode. To well, that. which I did notice, you know. Oh, you um, whoa! Yeah, All right. I know. I wrote it down as a note. Um, you We're know, gonna have to change the tagline for Trek about because I don't think you're, <laughs> I don't think you're a non fan anymore. But anyway, um, <laughs> but you know, the, 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 I guess I kind of figured like, oh, you know, at that point I was like, oh, obviously. He's in Bashir, you know, throughout this episode, and so and Ew. that's how he's. I well, listen, you know, I it does, you know, there is no accounting for taste. Um, okay, he was a TV star, and you know that had a certain <laughs> amount of. He was a main character on, you know, a TV, sh- you know, um, and so I guess the the plot of the episode didn't really normally when normally I'm usually along with the plots. I'm usually dumb and I don't pick twists coming out. So the fact that I was able to pick this twist coming out and it made the episode kind of dumb was was that I didn't like the plot of it. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean the plot itself is not really all that interesting. I mean basically no. what you have is is a semi locked room mystery and and the the locked room mystery isn't even all that interesting because of course the guy's still going to be alive in some fashion and of course he's still in Bashir, you know all of these things, right? And, and, and we just, you know, not that long ago saw the one with Dr. Crusher where now that one would have been aired after this one, of course, right? Uh you mean um uh the one with the space ghost? 
Space Ghost. Which one are you no, talking about? No, no, no. The one where the one where she's trying to get has the Frankie scientist and he gets killed and you know the oh. guy in the dry. Yeah, I think that that was around the same time actually. Because that was that was one of my favorites of Next Generation. That was yeah. pretty much the same plot roughly, um, and again, just better done. So uh, you know, well, that's the, we, I think we, the, thi- I is, think the thing know, about the passenger is that it's obvious. Yeah. Deep Space Nine is a show that is not content to be obvious, as I think we're already starting to see. Yeah, maybe I thought that the show was going to double back and, you know, like it almost seemed – I guess while watching the show, I thought that the show would have a better opinion of me. And I thought that it was doing all of that as red herrings in misdirection. And then it turned out, no, that's actually what it was. Um, Right. Well, I think it's in, there's there's one there's one little trivia fact about this interest about this episode that I think is interesting. Which is when, that it was when written... watching this episode, Brandon Braga did not enjoy it. <laughs> uh, do you know who wrote this episode or co-wrote it? No, uh, the same guy who wrote the Inner Light. Really? Yeah. You know, I have to say because the Inner Light, the plot made no sense. The you know all of that didn't really, but. That was a much better character episode. I think he had more of an insight into Picard than he did to any of the characters on this show. Yeah, that and might... I think, and I think that's kind of the 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 failing of the passengers that it really doesn't provide us with any insights into any of the characters. Really, I mean, I... aside from the Odo stuff, which we'll talk about because I really like the Odo stuff in mm, this episode. Yes. You know, we don't really learn much about Bashir. We don't really learn much about Cisco. We don't really learn much about Kira. You know, they're all just sort of like pieces in this not very interesting puzzle. And and you know, the character of of Kajada is kind of just your general you know stern police figure, and and there's nothing yeah. really there either. I mean, she kind of comes off a little bit of a crazy person because she keeps yeah. insisting that this guy is still alive, and, and you're they like, don't do anything with that. Like, I, you know, I was thinking about a couple of weeks, you know, when we had Vash, you know, and right? It was all focusing on her, and she wasn't very interesting. Like, I think it might be. It might be an interest might have been a more interesting episode to be focusing on her and she's desperately trying to convince these, you know, people on the station that she is right. You know, she knows this and here's why and here's things he's done before. And, you know, seeing our main cast stonewalling somebody would be an interesting twist on that, even if it is the exact plot that we have. Maybe the presentation just it didn't choose the most interesting angle to view it from. Well, right, because, you know, they kind of set it up as as this mystery that, that isn't very interesting because, of course, you know, if you're paying attention to how TV works, you already yeah. know where the guy is. And, you know, she's running around and she's kind of like nobody trusts her and nobody really knows her. And so nobody is really listening to her, which, you know, kind of makes sense. And I guess it's kind of, you know, believable to a certain degree. Yeah. I think it's it's it's. It does mark it as a bit different from from the next generation, of course, because I think if this was the next generation, they would all believe her. Well, you know, they do uh, they, they do they do make a point to give her the benefit of the doubt. You know, sure. Cisco does say, you know, look, we'll do every you know if it makes her comfortable, and frankly, it's not a bad idea to be a hundred percent sure instead of ninety nine point nine. So you know, do what we can on this, and you know, they do take it her at least. I, I, again, wh- whether or not they take it seriously, they definitely believe that she believes this, mm-hmm. and they also think they also recognize that you know, on the off chance, you know, 
if she's crying wolf, you know, whatever. So they wasted an afternoon doing an extra scan. If she's not, it's really bad. So they, you know, given their situation, need to kind of assume the worst case scenario every time. Yeah, I suppose that's true. And I think that if you're in the kind of situation where Deep Space Nine is, where they're still trying to figure out what exactly it means that the show is set on a space station as opposed to a starship, you know, it does make sense that they would be cautious because they're they're civilians there. They're basically running a small town and they don't want to put the station into any unnecessary danger. Yeah. I I think the other reason why the episode falls down a little bit is that it's it's a little unclear as to who exactly these aliens are and and where they're coming from. You know, the the beginning of the episode, I I don't I don't remember, but I don't believe it says that they're coming back from the Gamma Quadrant. I'm just I, the whole oh, the whole yeah. thing is the whole thing I is very she strange. Was... Wait, so she wasn't Bajoran? This is a very stupid question. No. Oh. She was very not Bajoran. Did you I not didn't think that? she. You know, something. It's not the HD version, so. Well, there is no HD version. <laughs> yeah, but my internet is slower than yours. Just please let me have this one. <laughs> okay. Um, I am a Trek newbie, remember? See, there are still moments that I have. Um, Bajorans have very little makeup. Let's just put it that way. You know, she could be a very flashy Bajoran. Okay, sure. Um, She could be ready to, you know, listen, it doesn't, you know, she has her own methods of how to catch criminals. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Um. But yeah, yeah, it's just it's not it's not clear exactly what the setup is and it's not clear exactly what's going on here. And, and you know, they kind of make this thing about, you know, the MacGuffin of the plot is that they're, they, they need this this space mineral that they can only find in the Gamma Quadrant because this race is dying or whatever. And, you know, it just it all seems very strange to me. Like, it's just there there are obstacles put in the way of this of this episode that are yeah. obviously there for plot, because, of course, if this was actually so important, I think that Starfleet would have sent a couple ships. I mean, you've got this freighter coming through the wormhole and it has no escort uh it the whole thing just yeah, comes across no, as like, nobody on the ship seems to know how to use a gun when they're there you know there there is apparently yeah. no security team or anything and they're carrying uranium you know what i mean like that would be right that that's a very good point so so it's just kind of like okay the the, the gears of the plot you can kind of see churning in a way and, that that i think this this show has so far avoided for the most part i mean we've seen the franchise put random time limits oh my god and on top of everything the sun's gonna explode in 10 minutes scotty what are we gonna do you know jordy you gotta get us out of here the aliens are charging up their suit you know there always been this you know random right. stuff that but norm uh, normally it, but it's We've seen it done very well where it just raises the stakes and makes it that much more intense. And, you know, there are times when this show is just we're going to show you a, you know, space challenge and you're not going to be on the edge of your seat wondering how they're going to get out of this one, you know. Um, But that was it wasn't very effective here. Again, didn't really care about the plot, didn't really explain it well enough. And so it was more crap to deal with in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. If you have a show that doesn't care – if an episode that doesn't care about its plot, that's fine. Just don't make very much of it. You know, Give us more room for the characters then because this is a show that I think we – I think the show is going to be able to handle plotless episodes a lot better than TNG did. And TNG had a few plotless episodes that were pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So so let's 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 talk about Odo then because I think yeah. that the Odo stuff is the strongest part of the episode and it's also the part of the episode that deals with character. You know, you know, you get... I I, I want to say like there are some, you know, some things from the next episode I noticed too. I think we should treat them both here, by the way, because 
I would like to point out there are some related trends I am noticing that I don't want to talk about in isolation. Okay. <laughs> uh, Odo thinks of himself as the law in a lot of ways. Um, or sometimes he thinks of himself as above the law or he doesn't have to... I mean, the, the business in the next episode, in this, in, in, what the fuck? Um, move Along Home. Yeah, the, the, the business in Move Along Home where he says, well, I'm not a Federation officer. I can go on the ship. And he does, you know. Right. This episode where he feels very threatened by this Federation guy who is a check on his power in some ways or he thinks of as a check on his power. I think Odo's intentions are always very good, but it's very interesting to see that he has a... I don't know. They, they're making it very clear that he doesn't – he only has respect for hierarchy and rules when he wants to. Well, I think that, I think you said something really interesting there, and I don't even know that you realized it. I, I don't think that Odo thinks he's above the law. I think that Odo thinks he is the law. And that's, I think that no, Odo that's thinks, actually – And Odo thinks that his thought process and Odo thinks that whatever he does in service of, of his idea of what justice is is right. And if he's going to – Un, not follow the rules, quote unquote, or whatever. The rules don't apply to him because yeah. he is, in effect, the the literal embodiment of the law. And if he wants to do something, change his premise, whatever he wants to do, that's fine. He's just reinterpreting the law because he is, in effect, uh, the law. Now, well, it's very you interesting could... considering his physical makeup. He is a he is very literally a protean being. He, yeah. He, whenever, whatever shape he's taking, he is embodying. You know, he's a mimic in a lot of ways, and sure. you know, in a way which he legitimately becomes whatever object or whatever person he is. And so, I think his performance of the law is a genuine performance. It's not like no, I, I think so too. I wouldn't and say I think... he's he's not a corrupt character. I mean, he is he is. It's weird that his alignment would be lawful good given that he doesn't really, you know, follow other people's laws. But again, he is so – his ethical and moral code come very much – he created both of them and he's – you know, himself and he – because he doesn't have any prior civilization or uh, right. culture to draw on. He's – his uh, his philosophy had to have been very syncretic and so – yeah, again, he's – the. Because he is outside of every other culture, he can't really – he doesn't really have any framework other than his own to make decisions from. And so, well, I yeah. Think it's, I think it's really interesting because I think in a lot of ways Odo is a reactionary. And and what I mean by that is that if you remember back to the first episode, Emissary, where he talks about, well, I was found in the nebula and nobody knows where I came from. And, you know, we don't know that much about Odo's backstory yeah. yet, of course. And there's probably some people involved and he was on the Cardassian station while it was still owned by the Cardassians and all of these things. Yeah. You know, and of course he was probably shaped by Cardassian law as well, let's not forget. Um, which is which you know we can infer is is much more top down, much more bureaucratic, much more harsh. As than, he said than, at one point, it was what is it? it was very harsh, but you knew what everything was. <laughs> yeah, you knew where you stood. And so, if you look at it that way, and you look at this person who can literally take the form of anything that he wants to, yeah. and doesn't know where he comes from, you know, he reacts to this, and the way that he reacts to that is by basically becoming a reactionary, and he is in effect becoming the most. Uh, hard-nosed, you know, by-the-book kind of, you know, uh, 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 character on the show. And I don't mean by-the-book in terms of, like, following the law. I mean by-the-book in terms of his own sort of thought process because, in effect, he is the book. 
And so he has to rely on himself to a large degree, uh, to, to really only degree. And I think that when, you know, the new character comes in, the new Starfleet security officer, and he's kind of like, whoa, I don't want to deal with this, yeah. you know, like, and, and uh, that's kind of where he's coming from, I think, in a lot of ways. And that's why he kind of goes to Cisco and says, hey, what's going on here? I need to know that, that I'm the guy. And Cisco is basically like, "Yep, okay, you're the guy. Like, yeah. I like you. I know where you stand. I think, and that's that's, that's also a- yeah. At this point, you know, you know, you know, we said a few episodes ago. Um, you know, Odo said, "How do you know I didn't kill him? You know, you don't know me. You know, you've." Done- at this point, Cisco's been on a few adventures with him and does trust him and does know that you know whether or not he follows policy to the law. Well, Cisco doesn't follow policy to the law you know if right. he can let if he can keep o'brien on staff you know nothing odo is good and that was a breach just for the fuck of it in some ways um well yeah know. because you know that 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 scene in, in quarks where odo lets the the thing slip about the shipment and 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 you know cisco yeah. tells the security officer like look this isn't a starship things don't run like you're used to it's very difficult to to keep secrets here and so i think that what you're realizing i think what you're seeing here is that you know, Odo and, and, and the Bajorans are, are influencing Starfleet, I think, in these early episodes more than Starfleet is influencing them. Well, I think there's a degree also in that of, in a way, better the devil you know. In a, you know, he empowers Quark to do a lot of shady shit on a ship. Sure. Because he knows, number one, he knows that Quark ultimately does have a line. It's a very fuzzy line. Uh, the people who... Quark cares about versus does, you know, that's a very strong line. And I think the next episode begins to examine that. Yeah. But he knows everything about Quark's game. If he, you know, so in another way, he basically says to Quark, look, handle all the black market shit on this. You know, I don't want somebody else just appearing from, you know, the depths that I, that that's an unknown to me, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in other words, you know, if he gives this, if if he essentially tells Quark where the action is, the action is going to always fall to Quark, and no one will have a chance to pick up the scraps. Yeah, I think that's really true, and I think that that that's kind of what Odo realizes about life on the space station. Yeah. that Starfleet doesn't. You know, I think Odo realizes that that the only way to make sure things are under your control is to make sure that things are under your control, which well, sounds that, like yeah. a tautology, but you know, it, it it's true. But that's the thing, you know, and Odo himself knows, you know, again on a starship. You know, as, as we've seen on the next generation, you tell somebody, you know, this, you know, you're this is secret. You know, it's restricted to people of, you know, they tell Picard, you can't tell Riker this. He doesn't tell Riker this, you know, there are right. things, you know, everybody will follow that because they are all good Starfleet officers and they all have signed on for this and they agree with that. You know, um, one of one of the things we saw in lower decks is that, you know, that one guy who wasn't quite you know, material wanted to know everyone's business a little too much. Yeah. In a way, people in Starfleet are just conditioned to think, well, everyone's gonna, you know, if you, if you keep something secret, no one will find out about it. And, you know, we're seeing in a way, this is the real world. You know, Cisco is beginning to see how he can't follow Starfleet rules all the time. You know, they, 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 it just doesn't work. And to the new security officer's credit, I mean, I, I, I like that he immediately goes to Odo and he says, "Look, we'll work together." You know, he obviously isn't thrilled about it, but you know, he knows that's the way things go, and he does try. You know, and I like that he is kind of going to be a minor character, apparently. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that's a good opportunity for us to transition into talking about Move Along Home, which uh, I think that the... Well, so here's the thing about Move Along Home. Um, As someone who makes video games, as someone who works in this space, um, is this a very good game? No, it's terrible. You know what? Have you ever played Mal? No. Okay. Like Chairman Mal? Yeah, it, it's a card game. It's the most obnoxious game ever. And well, all card games are obnoxious, but okay. But this one more. See, the thing is, Mal ha- is it's basically a you you're dealt the thing of cards and you you know play and put down cards and you know it's a it's a trick based game. Um, but there are a, lo- a very specific series of rules that you're not allowed to tell new players. And if you break a rule, you have so I I don't remember what the rules are, but it's like you know. Let's say you have to alternate black and red cards is one of the rules. So, you know, in other words, I'm telling you, all right, we're playing now. Put down a card. I, I put down a black card. If you did put down another black card, you get another card. And I act all smug about it. That's the thing. Anybody who is introducing you to Mao is going to be smug as shit about it. And it's oh. a very frustrating, annoying game, just like this one. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't really get the Wadi. I don't know what they want. I, I I'll say this I straight up. I respect them. I respect that you know they come in. The first thing is like, hey, let's play some games, and that's all they care about. Okay, I just have to say something. I think it's Puerto Rican Day. Oh yeah. So I will. I will say that I do like this episode. I think that it's entertaining. Yeah. I think that it's just a goofy episode. You know, a lot of people are kind of like, ah, this episode's not very good. Well, whatever. It's fun. It was a I like fun, it. stupid episode. It's, it's fun agree. to watch. You get to see them dance and say stupid <laughs> rhymes. I mean, it's all I was going to like I said, I mean, Kira was very funny in that scene, you know, because she does not, she, you know, she does not act like an idiot, you know. Uh, right. Dax was, you know, and I thought it was, Dax was very natural about it, you know, but she well, was like, I'm going to go for it, and like, Kira's well, like, I feel like an asshole. That's the interesting thing about the episode is that, you know, well, number one, I like the fact that you get to hear Avery Brooks sing because he has a nice singing voice. Um, hmm. But, you know, this is, I think this episode works so well because they've already done a good job of establishing like who these characters are to yes. a certain degree. And so they all act like, how they would act, right? I mean, Kira's going to be stern and just kind of charge ahead. Dax is going to be very interested in what exactly is going on scientifically. Cisco is just going to be annoyed because Cisco is annoyed at everything. <laughs> and and Bashir is going to be the one to actually figure out what's going on. I mean, if you noticed, you know, Bashir is consistently the character in this episode that gets them past each level. So, you know, there's some degree to which his egotism is kind of founded because he is very intelligent. Well, now, I'm not saying with that I'm not one- saying. I'm not saying that these puzzles were that difficult to figure out, but still. Well, I mean, for the one with the hopscotch thing, it, it, Bashir and Dax do each figure out a part of it. You know, he doesn't realize about the rhyme, but. Yeah, but he's the one who starts them on that path. So I oh, think yeah. that, you know, in that certain degree, it, it's it's something that, that makes sense for the character. Uh, now Bashir also kind of dies, so that's kind of fun as well. <laughs> yeah, it was good to see that. I like, I mean, this is, it, it, it's, it's, be- it's interesting how there are we haven't really had any too many Cisco focused episodes. I was just thinking about yeah. that because like I expected him to be the main character and he's not at all, which I think is a very interesting choice for it. Again, going with the uh theme of the show that it's about the world that the Federation lives in in a way, but you know, it was nice it's nice to see him doing stuff. I do like him and I do Find the th- I, I find it maybe interesting that I would like to see more of him in certain you know, I would be interest more interested in another Cisco episode. 
Yeah, and I think that I think that um, I don't think we get one this this season. I, I think okay. that you know the the show is doing a pretty good job at giving yeah. a lot of characters their due, and I think that Cisco is one of those characters. Maybe they're. I don't know if they're consciously staying away from giving him an episode or if they're just sort of like letting the other characters get established first. I think that Deep Space Nine is just a different show and it's much more interested in telling yeah. stories set in a world as opposed to, you yeah, know, yeah, telling yeah. stories about individual characters. And I think that they really do try and tie uh, uh, the, the character stories in with the world to a large degree. You know, I think that the wadi stuff is kind of like whatever and we can talk about the wadi but you know well they're, i, I they're... like how the two you know everyone we've seen from the gabba quadrant is kind of crazy and kind of an asshole and like is just doing this elaborate horrible thing and getting everybody else like wrapped up in it you know now that's kind of like what the gamma quadrant does they don't really have a strong sense of boundaries yeah and i think that you know if you look at I mean, Cisco's interesting because Cisco is 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 an explorer, but he's also not super interested. I mean, he doesn't seem to be super like interested or super tolerant of dealing with first contact situations. Yeah. And I think that, you know, he is someone well, who kind of bristles when people don't kind of do things his way to a certain degree. He's and, a nine and, to fiver in some ways, I think. Yeah. Like, like he's he's all right with all right, I'll stay till nine at the party and then I want to go home and, you know watch a show with my son and go to bed like that's that's my night you know and and jake is not dead incidentally i mean this is the first time we've seen jake in weeks yeah 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 so that's good Um, i guess you know it was interesting (laughs) um i i was re-listening to you know one of our next generation episodes and we were talking about alexander and um how shitty of a father uh wharf is (laughs) And I think it's really interesting that, again, even though we haven't seen a ton of Jake, you know, yeah. he is, has been a very minor character. And, I mean, he's certainly much older than, you know, Alexander was. He's a little closer to how old Wesley was, you know, I think when, when Next Generation started. And, and I think Jake is wearing some of Wesley's clothes. It's adorable. But, you know, he can spend more – he would spend more time on his own. You know, he doesn't need as much. But we also – you know, it's very clear that when Jake was younger, he would – you know – Cisco was a very, very attentive father, and he still does what he can. Like, he goes out of his way, again, to try to, you know, to keep up that relationship with his son. I like well, yeah, because I – well, I think the the thing about Alexander and the reason why I think we both yeah. kind of had a problem with Alexander is that Alexander was very young. And so when Alexander disappeared for weeks at a time w- with no sign that Worf even, like, knew where he was – I mean, we had scenes in Worf's quarters and Alexander is nowhere to be yeah. seen and he's not even mentioned. And it's like Alexander's, like, four years old. Where the hell is he? You know, and so with Jake, it's different because Jake yeah. is a teenager and Jake is going to be off, like, anyway, watching the Jake's girls and the, stuff. Jake, Jake's at the point where he actually wants to pull away from his father a bit. Absolutely. You know, he's, he's – uh, you know – which you know, I, I think it's funny that you know, if the show continues on this trajectory, one of the themes is going to be Cisco dealing the fact that his son wants to spend more time alone. I mean, that is what it would be. That's what's going to happen in a year or so. You know. And yeah, yeah. That's and I think in that... a way the op. You know, frankly, I think Worf would love is just waiting for the day that Alexandra can just hang out with his friends and do whatever. What friends? Aww. But yeah, I think that's true. And I think that, you know, the other thing about Jake that we haven't really talked about, aside maybe an emissary, is that, you know, this is a good way for the show to uh, uh, present a different side of Cisco and to really show Cisco 
as as a caring, attentive person. You know, he obviously loves his son. He wants his son yeah. to do well. He wants his son to grow up into a into a, uh, a you know a good man. And I think that you really do see that. And that humanizes humanizes Cisco. I think in a way that you didn't really get Picard humanized, for example. Yeah. And so the little bits that we see from Jake, I think are, are, are appropriate. And I don't think we really need to see Jake more than we're seeing him because really yeah. Jake is not interesting as a character. He's interesting as a way for us to get into how Cisco reacts to things. No, like what kind of person Cisco is. When Cisco and Jake are, they are probably having stuff that for TV is very boring. He's talking about school. He's Cisco's talking about his day, you know, they're having, yeah. it's, it's just generic father son stuff. But you know, the fact that we can, Imagine that in a way is a very clear characterization and again, a very different characterization for, you know, Cisco is much more about the work life balance. Again, he has his, he has his duty and his duty does come, you know, is very important to him. Starfleet is very important to him, but it, he, it, it does not trump his family. It does not trump his son. Um, well, yeah, because I think that if we if we tie this back to the events of the episode and this game that the Wadi make them play, you know, early on in the episode when Cisco goes back to bed and he's talking to Jake, you know, he says to Jake, oh, well, you know, let, they're just playing childish games. And then he gets sucked into this game, which is very much not childish, at least from the point of view of the people playing it, because they think that this they don't know what's going on and they think, these, yeah. you know, they could die. Um, and I think that that the un, it's kind of the under the the non the like undersaid thing in the episode is that or the undercurrent of the episode is that you know Cisco is someone who really loves his son and Cisco is someone who really values his family and you know he's being taken away from that from Jake his son by these asshole aliens <laughs> who are not doing anything constructive. And basically just playing a game with him and not telling him what's going on. And I and I think that at the end of the episode, you see that where Cisco's basically like, what the fuck, guys? Like, this is not cool. Like, you can't just come here and, like, mess our shit up like this. Uh, and I like that about Cisco because I think that, you know, I'm not saying that, like, aliens are getting away with things in the next generation. But I think that there's kind of an implication that whatever the aliens do is okay because Prime Directive. But in this ep- in this show, it's very much like... There are manners involved here. Yeah. And like, you listen, need to be we a, have the you prom- need to be a good guest. We have the prime directive to not fuck with your shit, you know, but don't fuck with our shit either. Like, that goes both ways in a way, you know. You got to give respect to get respect. But, uh... Well, yeah, and I think that, you know, the implication is that maybe they would have played the game if they had told them what was going on. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, part, you know, it, it's one thing that they're doing this to you know, to fuck with Quark, you know, because frankly, Quark deserves it, but, sure, um, yeah. you know, um, you know, it's, we, we see Quark begging, you know, and that, and that's great, but, um, groveling even. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I mean, you know, Armin Shimmerman is a fantastic oh actor. I think he's probably the best actor on the show so far. And, uh, that, was kind of hard to watch actually yeah i mean that was that was like some serious heartfelt groveling you know it's the part when you know they first say you know oh what you know when he first real when he that moment when he realizes that oh no these are actually representing you know these people and you know if i make the wrong move like you can hear terrified you know he has his like i said quark is an asshole he's a crook he's a con man you know, but he does have his limits, and which is interesting because in the previous episode we did see him take a lot of money to put mercenaries on a ship. You know, he did, 
he is indirectly responsible for the deaths of a bunch of people. Uh, yeah, that is true. <laughs> but and I think um, that, you know, that that's kind of a, you know, that I don't want to say that that's a problem the show has going forward, but I think that so far it's been kind of a difficult thing for the show to handle because I don't know that the show is quite clear. They can't to tell what, yeah. Yeah, like to how how far they should go with making Quark a morally great character because I think there are some you still want Quark to be a nice guy and you still want to be able to find him funny and entertaining. I mean the thing with the con man character is you know people con mans can be, you know, anti-heroes because one of the things is they never con anybody who doesn't deserve it in a way. Like let, let's put it this way, Quark's is a gambling house. You know, you don't you know, you go into Quark's, you know you are going to lose money somehow, you know. And you just kind of go with it. And if you're being swindled, you know, that's fine. You know, if he or, he's doing an auction and you're being overcharged for it, well, you can do it the second you knew Quark was doing it. You know, yeah. There, you know, there is that. Like, you know, again, you know, Quark, you can't con an honest John. And if um, Quark is going along that way, he's okay. But then they make these moments where he he goes beyond that and, you know, actively hurts somebody who had nothing to do with something or lets something else happen or has his hand in something and maybe the implications go worse than he intended to, but he I don't see him actually dealing with that. You know, again, it's one thing if he thinks that, you know, he was contracted to just steal a shipment. It's another thing to know that six people got killed. Well, that's and that's I think is the interesting part about about Move Along Home is that you know Quark is okay to sort of like you know when when he's not directly faced with the consequences of yeah. what he's doing he's okay with it he can sort of compartmentalize that way but but when he's directly faced with making a hard moral choice that he knows is going to directly result in someone's death or at least he thinks so yeah he can't do it and so I think that maybe this episode redeems him in a little way and sort of like makes him a little bit more sympathetic or makes us not not necessarily like Quark better but but sort of like understand him a little better and make him a little more of a character that we can actually root for in situations because, I was you know say and maybe the writing staff will realize that and then we can even you know, turn that into this is the moment when he began to realize that he can hurt people and, you know, he's better make sure, that, you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah, because, I mean, one of the things about Deep Space Nine in general is that, you know, when we, ta- we talked about this a lot in The Next Generation, when we talked about, you know, TNG's kind of approach to, to serialization, which was very light, but they did have it. Is that, you know, I, and I said Deep Space Nine was much more serialized, and it certainly is, but, you know, let, let's not forget, let's put this show in context, it is still an early to mid-90s yeah. science fiction syndicated TV show, and while it is more serialized, and while things do bleed into each episode more, uh, there are going to still be discrete episodes that just kind of have to stand on their own, and so, you know... You know, when they have the inevitable Quark episode, we need to make sure that we're able to sympathize with him and and root for him in some way, because there are going to be those episodes. You know, every episode is going, you know, every character is going to get a couple episodes a season the same way that they did in The Next Generation. So that's kind of where we are with that, I think. Yeah. And again, a lot, you know, a lot of it does have to do with Armin Sherman being really good. You know, I... There, I don't. I've never seen a bad Quark scene. Do you know what I mean? Like, even if you're just watching him act, it's it's interesting. So that yeah. that goes a long way too. I will say, and yeah, I do find him a funny character when he isn't. You know, again, selling a waitress into sex slavery. He is interesting to watch. You know, I like how 
he always, I, I like how there's always, a, again, I like his relationship with Odo very much. I like how he always has attention because, you know, he is good at manipulating people, but he also is very manipulable himself. Sure. I like, you know, I like watching scenes where he and someone else are trying to get the better of each other and they finally just, you know, make it clear that he'll make a lot of money if they go his way and he's immediately, you know, subservient. Sure, um, sure. You know, I, I loved that he goes from, you know, terrified and embarrassed and pissed off to, you know, chasing after the guy to try and get a franchise deal, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, he is the consummate businessman, right? Yeah. He, has, he, he puts aside his personal feelings, or maybe he doesn't, I don't know, but he, he's very willing to well, just do what he needs to do. Well, that is his personal feelings, you know? Yeah, money, m- money is his love, you know? And it, it, it's, again, you know, he has, the Ferengi are a very passionate race as well. They just have one passion, and that's gold-pressed latinum. Yeah, that's true. So, I guess the other thing to talk about in this episode, and then we'll, I guess we'll wrap it up, is, you know, the, the, the Wadi themselves, you know, I, I don't know that there's there's really much there. I think that they're very underdeveloped, and I think that the show, I think this episode would have been a little more successful if it had given them a little more context. You know, like, what, what we yeah. see of them is just, oh, they like games and they're assholes. Like, that's not that interesting. And so... The the episode, while I like it, does rely a bit too much on the suspense of something that you know is not really happening, which is the death of the main characters. Yeah. Um, I, I assume that we're – because I don't – I guess one of the things is I don't know whether or not we're going to see the Wadi again. I feel like no. if <laughs> – yeah, so number one, you know, just as we didn't see, we'll probably never see those hunters aliens again, right? Uh, you don't think so. You know, I don't want the show to turn into an alien of the week comes from the wormhole and what are they going to deal with this week? Oh, they're playing a game. Oh, they're hunting someone. Oh, they, you know, right. are, are a gem that looks, that's really a jellyfish. You know, it's, um... Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to become that show. Yeah, because I, I, I would be very interested if they had a, for example, a single culture from, you know, the Gamma Quadrant that they began to have regular contact with. That's something I'm going to be very interested in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that, that you know, the show is still finding its feet. The show is yeah. still finding its voice. And I think that, you know, what what you see here is that I don't know that they really know to what degree they can make this very different. And so it's kind of like two steps forward, one step back for the show. Yeah. You know, they're doing I, a lot of really interesting stuff with serializing character development and relationships across episodes. But at the same time, I think that they're much less willing to let, you know, and the other thing too is like, you know, I've told you that like, you know, there's a, there's a large backbench of secondary characters in the yeah. space nine, much there's more than any other Star Trek of- show. And, and I don't want you to, start watching each episode wondering if this is another character that we're going to see in the future. Like, you know, just kind of like let the show kind yeah. of like wash over you. I mean, to bit. a degree, uh, they are letting, they, they do have a ton of balls in the air right now. And to add a recurring, ser- you know, guest from the Gamma Quadrant would maybe be a bit much right now. I mean, we have, we have the whole Bajorans thing, the whole thing with the uh, Bajoran Pope lady, you know? Yeah. I mean, has in you know we haven't dealt with Cardassians in a couple of episodes you know yeah um, Klingons we've barely seen and you know I know you told me there are Klingons later on you know there are a ton of things that you know every single one of these characters has a backstory we haven't you know we've only begun to see so yeah they're 
it, 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 it's fine if they if they want to wait a little while to before introducing a new thread, you know. Yeah, and I think that that what you're saying. I mean, we're we're halfway through the first season at this point, and I, yeah. I I think what you're saying is that again, the show is not really sure what its strengths are, and it's really just finding itself. And you know, if they're going to be doing these kind of episodes, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that there's always going to be that kind of episode because again, this is a this is a Star Trek show, and and Star Trek at its heart is a show about explore you know exploring space and yeah. alien cultures, but. Uh, you know, that's not necessarily what the show is best at. And and so, you know, going forward, I think it'll be interesting to for you to watch that develop and grow. I'm excited. Okay. Uh, well. I, I have never been more excited about anything before. Uh, that's kind of sad, I think, but but maybe not. I really like Star Trek, so I, I'm, I'll go with that. I think that's mm. good. Uh, well, I think that's all we have for these two episodes. Do you have that's anything else? That's all the time we have for today. <laughs> Tune in next week when we well, talk about Odo's big event and Q meets Quark. That is not happening. Uh, if you would like to share your thoughts on either one of these episodes, please do so at the post for this episode of Trekabout at trekaboutshow.com. Please follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash trekaboutshow. Uh, please like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekaboutshow. And please leave us a positive iTunes review. It is the best way for new fans to find the show and, frankly, makes both Richard and I feel good. We like reading it. We read it to our mothers and are like, see, we're not failures. Yeah. we're not. We're not. No one's a failure. Everyone is wonderful. I don't want to go that far. Bashir kind of sucks still. Well, you don't have to deal with him next week, I don't think. <sighs> so next week we are talking about the Negus and Vortex. Which are not great names. No. And they might not be great episodes. Oh. But we'll find out next week. <laughs>